But let's dive into the word together. And before we do, let's pray. So Father God, we just thank you that you are sovereign, that you're in control of all things. God, that you know us and that you love us. That you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have a relationship with you. But Father, tonight as we study your word, would you, would your spirit just speak to our hearts? Lord, teach us from what, what, what we need to learn from your word and go before us. Lord, we love you and we ask that this would be a time that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm only 32. I don't remember way back decades and decades ago, but I've heard from my parents and grandparents that, that um, life was different 50 years ago, that you could go out of your house, leave the door unlocked, maybe leave your key in, in your car in your ignition and not have to worry about thieves, thievery, that you could, could go to public places and, and, and not keep a vigilant eye on your kids because you trusted the people around you. Times have changed from what I hear. I've only been around not as long as my parents or grandparents. But what I know is that nowadays, as I look at society, as I look at our culture, I see a need to protect my kids. I see a need to, to, to teach them the word of God in such a way that that they need to expect that they're going to be bombarded and persecuted for their faith in schools and even by, by their peers. I have two boys. My wife and I have two boys. Theo is almost three and Sawyer is, is a little over one. And um, I'll never forget the night that my wife told me that we were going to have our first kid. You know, usually there's that excitement and high fives and hugs and kisses and maybe tears of joy. But that night, it wasn't the case. <laughs> it was more or less anxiety, nervousness, stress. Because I realized that, that in 20 years from now, it's going to be harder for Christians. Harder than it was 20 years ago, or 40 years ago, or 60 years ago. The reality is that we live in a society and a culture that is increasingly more condemning towards Christians towards believers, to people who open up their Bibles and don't just read what it says, but actually live it out on a daily basis. And this is the reality that, that my kids, that your kids are going to grow up in, is that their faith is going to be persecuted. And so it's in this study that we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Judges chapter 13. And it's in this study that really want us to understand the heart of God for our kids, for children. Now, it doesn't matter if they're two months old, two weeks old, two years old, 12 years old, 20 years old, or, or 52 years old. If you have kids and you're 80 years old, your kids are probably, what, 50 years old? They're still your children. And Scripture still gives us the commandment to teach them no matter what age they are, to teach them to honor, to obey, and love the Lord their God. So Judges chapter 13. This message is entitled Parenting in Perilous Times. Parenting in Perilous Times. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Scripture says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 
So what we see in this first verse, the very first word is again. Again. That, that connotates this idea that Israel had been in captivity in the past. Well, to, to be honest, they'd been in, in captivity probably 11 to 12 times up until this point in the book of Judges. And that this next judge that we're going to be learning about his, his meager beginnings was the 12th judge in Israel. And this spanned a total of around 200, 250 years. And so, but this is the problem. It's that Israel was prone to wonder. And there's this slide up here, hopefully, that we, that we can put up, of uh, the cycle of the book of Judges. That over and over again, Israel falls into this cycle, and it repeats itself. And so this, this is the cycle. is that Israel begins, and they, and they begin to serve the Lord. And after serving the Lord for years, decades, may, maybe generations, they fall into sin and idolatry. They're influenced by neighboring nations who worship other idols. And as a result of their sin and idolatry, Israel becomes enslaved by different nations, pagan nations surrounding them. And after a period of enslavement and persecution, Israel finally cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, forgive us. Help us. Rescue us. And so God hears their cries and he raises up a judge. And this judge isn't your typical um, judicial person with black robes and sits on high. This judge is typically a person, whether it's a man or, or a woman, who leads Israel out against the persecutors, their captors. And so after that happens, Israel is delivered. And they begin the cycle again by serving the Lord. Now it's interesting that in the past 12 chapters of Judges, the periods of time in which they are enslaved or, or captive are vary. There are some years that are five, seven years, some 14, 17. The, the second highest one is 27 years. And after each enslavement, Israel cries out to the Lord for help to be rescued. But in this chapter, Israel does not. After 40 years of being in captivity, Israel doesn't understand. They fail to cry out to their God for help. Now, 40 years is a long time. Like I said, I'm 32 years old. 32 years is a long time to live, at least in, in my perspective. Um, you, know, you know who's 40 years old? Eric Cartier. Yeah, that's old. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. I can say that because he's about, what, 5,000 miles away in Israel? I'm safe, at least for now. <laughs> 40 years is a long time to be in captivity. 40 years is a long time to be in captivity and not repent and turn back to, to the Lord. But this is the state of Israel. They've been in captivity to the Philistines for 40 years. Now we know throughout the Old Testament that the Philistines had been a, thro a thorn in Israel's flesh. They were the ones that, that assembled and, and Goliath stood before the Israelites and mocked and taunted, taunted the Israelite army and the Israelites' God as well. The, the Philistines were the ones in 1 Samuel 5 and 6 that, that um, captured the Ark of the Covenant and took it away from the Israelite nation. And they're the ones here that have enslaved Israel for 40 years. But you know what? This is not just something that happens here or happens in the book of Judges. This is the state, the heart of humanity throughout all, all of history. It's that it's so easy 
to serve the Lord. And then after a period of serving the Lord, to fall into idolatry and sin because we become content in our hearts and we forget about the Lord. And then we become enslaved by the addictions of our hearts. And then we need to be rescued, rescued by the Lord himself. And so this is not just something that plagues Israel at this period of time. This is our condition. This is our problem that we deal with now, even in our society now. Think about it. 250 years ago, the United States was founded upon godly beliefs to serve the Lord, religious freedom, and more and more it's being taken away from us because we are more and more becoming a nation that doesn't desire to serve or follow or worship the Lord our God. This is what happens. And this cycle will continue. But even in the midst of struggle and problems, God provides hope. So let's look at, at, at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And now there was a certain man from Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So we see that there's a problem within the nation of Israel, that they've been persecuted and enslaved for 40 years. But there's a problem within a specific family of Israel. It was Manoah's family. And Manoah was a Danite. The, Dan, the tribe of Dan at this time lived in the southwest corner of Israel, close to the Mediterranean Sea. But between the Mediterranean Sea and the tribe of Dan lived the Philistines the ones who had persecuted them and enslaved them for for, for 40 years. And we see that the problem within Manoah's family is that he and his wife are barren. They're barren. Now it's interesting to note that throughout this this chapter, Manoah's wife is not named. The only name that is given until the very end is Manoah's name, which in Hebrew means rest, means peace. Peace. So even though we start this chapter with horrible news, Manoah appears in this in the verse two. Almost like God's saying, Hey, 40 years has gone by, but rest is coming. Rest is coming. And so we see that Manoah and his wife are barren. Now this is really interesting because back in those days, if you were barren, it was almost like a curse was placed upon you. You were a disgrace within your society because God's blessings was oftentimes intermingled with bearing children. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in the Bible, verse 28, it says this. It says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So if, if you read this, you would can. Can, can take out from this that God's blessing is being fruitful in it and increasing in number. So Israel believed that it, the more children you had, the more blessed you were by the Lord. The psalmist in, in Psalms 127 verses 3 and 4 say this as well. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Why were children so valuable? Well, back in those days, they didn't have social security, 
I won't have social security probably, but that's okay. That's another story. Um, <laughs> but back in those days, they didn't have nursing homes. They didn't have government assistance. They had their children. Those were the ones who would take care of parents, of grandparents, of the elderly, was the children. And Manoah and his wife do not have the luxury of having kids. But here's the interesting thing. Is that whether you cannot have kids or you're in a different stage of life, God gives hope in those times. He will provide one way or another. And I know it through this. Is that we're going to read here that Manoah and his wife are going to bear a son. But the thing is, is that in life when there's hopelessness, whether you're single and, and, and desiring to, to find a spouse, whether you're a single parent and struggling with raising your kids, God's going to give you grace. That's all we need is grace for one more day. His grace for one more day. God's going to give that to us if we seek him with all of our hearts. He's going to give grace. And so the, all, the alternatives is forcing the issue. And we see that, that, that Abraham and Sarah did that. Abraham was like, oh, I'm a, almost 100 years old and, and I'm not going to be able to bear children. I'm going to make, I'm going to do my own thing. Not God's thing. So we need to understand that it's God's timing that, that's really important. And if we, if we hold to that, if we trust him to provide, then what's going to happen is that he's going to give us grace for every day that we need it until he provides. Amen. So trust him. Trust him. Verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. This is the hope. This is the hope that Manoah and his wife were looking for. Never did they expect in a million years that the angel of the Lord would appear to them and, and tell them that they're going to bear a son. But, but they come. The angel of the Lord comes and reveals this news to her. God gives hope to a barren family whose future looks bleak. And we see in verse 4 and 5, it's not just hope to a family. It goes beyond that. Verses 4 and 5. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So not only does God provide hope to this family, but God, even though Israel failed to repent of their sins, is going to provide hope for a nation that does not seek him. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope for our nation today and in 50 years, is that God can reach out in spite of us and still work for his glory. But notice this, is that with the hope and with this always comes instructions. Manoah, the Lord didn't just say, hey, you're going to have a baby and that's it. He gives Manoah's wife who remains nameless, instructions. And these are the instructions for her. Notice the, these three things. First, it says, towards the end, it says, no razor shall come upon his head, for he shall be a Nazarite from birth. 
a Nazarite from birth. So in Numbers chapter 6, 1 through 8, if you want to look at that passage and study that, those are the Nazarite um, rules. So it was an Israelite who dedicated himself or herself to the Lord. And there are three things that this person could not do, whether it's a period of time or their entire lifespan. And the three things were this. One, they could not cut their hair. Two, they could not touch a dead corpse or a dead body. And three, that no wine or anything grown from a vine could they eat. So we see that this child was to be set apart. And the interesting thing about this is that in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, there's a, a phrase that reoccurs over and over and over again. And the purpose of the Nazarite vow was so that a child or an individual would be set apart for the purpose of the Lord. They would be set apart for the Lord's work. And this is what's being, being communicated to Manoah's wife. The angel of the Lord is saying, hey, set apart your child for the work of the Lord because at the end of verse 5, it says, because he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. It wasn't going to be complete and it wasn't going to be for his glory. It was going to be for the Lord's glory. But he shall begin to, to rescue Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now what's interesting is that the angel of the Lord gives instructions to the woman. Look with me at verse 4. It says, Be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Now the wine idea is understandable. Okay? Because whatever, whatever the, the mother eats, the child is going to eat as well. Right? And so this son, this child was supposed to be a Nazarite from the womb until death. But it's interesting to see that the angel of the Lord also expects Manoah's wife to not eat anything unclean. This is not a part of the Nazarite vow, but this is something that's thrown in there for us to understand something very important. The angel of the Lord is requiring the mother of this child, of this future son, to be obedient to the laws and the commandments of, of the Lord. You see, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and receiving from the Lord the Ten Commandments and, and, and the guidelines for Israel and how they're to be governed and how they're supposed to live their lives, one of the rules was what to eat and what not to eat. And Israel was commanded not to eat certain foods that were considered unclean so that they would be set apart, a nation set apart from all other nations. It was, it, it was a sign and so what the angel of the Lord is specifically telling Manoah's wife here is, hey, you need to be obedient to the commandments that God has laid before you. It's about you. It's about you obeying God. Because the reality is this. If we start a pattern in our life of, of texting and being on our phones for hours a day, and we say, oh, I'm going to stop next year, or, 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 or when my, my child is born, or, or I'm going to stop when, when, when this or that happens, the, real, the, the reality is that probably not. If you, if have, you have the self-control to do that, awesome. But what the angel of the Lord is telling Manoah's wife is, right now, I need you to start obeying the commands of the Lord, so that you can set a precedence for for your son. 
And this is, this is how, how raising kids works. What you are into and what you're focused on, that's what your kids are going to focus on. So mothers, I'm speaking to you right now. It's your priority is your appearance and, and how you look and, and, and in the mirror and doing makeup for hours a day and not in God's word, studying, studying and reading and, 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 and living out and talking about what God's teaching you, guess what your kids are going to grow up thinking is important? Appearance. Appearance. If your priority is what you wear and your possessions and, and going shopping and buying this or buying that because accessorizing is, is fun and not in God's word or worshiping, you know what your kids are going to think is, is more important? Accessorizing. We are models for our kids. Our kids will imitate what we find is important. What we do is important. So examine, our, we need to examine our hearts. What are we doing? How are we living our lives? And are we imitating Jesus Christ so that our kids can follow our example and love the Lord? So Manoah's wife, let's go to the next couple of verses, verses six and seven. So the wife came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. He said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from, from the womb to the day of his death. Now, what's really cool to see here is that she didn't keep this to herself. She didn't go and tell her friends. But Scripture tells us that she went right away to her husband and told her husband. As the leader of her family, she goes and informs her leader, her husband. Now, what's interesting is that she describes, I, I love how women are detailed. Us men, we're like, yeah, he was, he was a dude. Yeah, but this, this woman, Manoah's wife, was like, oh, he was like, he was like a, a man of God and his countenance and, 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 and he was very awesome. Describing the situation, describing the man. Now, what's interesting to note is that this word, very awesome, isn't like, oh, the worship team was awesome tonight. This word in Hebrew literally means terrifying. Terrifyingly Awesome. Not like someone, uh, not like a regular person like me or, or you, but there was something different about this individual that sets him apart. The angel of the Lord. And we see in, in the Old Testament when the angel of the Lord is referenced, it's not just talking about any angel, but specifically referring to Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Like when the, Moses stumbled upon the burning bush, that was the angel. When Gideon and Joshua were going into battle, the angel of the Lord came to them with literally the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That is who is talking to Manoah's wife. This is not just some prophet who's giving her good news about what's to come. It is God himself. Very terrifyingly awesome. So what's important to note is what happens next. After Manoah hears these words from his wife, what does he do? What does he do? Verse 8. It says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Please let the man of God whom you've sent come to us again and teach us what we should do for the child who will be born. I think there's something really important for us to see here. Is that when uncertainty arrives in our lives, our first reaction should be prayer. Our first reaction must be prayer. And not just any old prayer, but notice specifically how Manoah prays. He says this first. He says, Oh my Lord. It's personal to him. His relationship with the Lord is very personal. It's my God. We are talking to our God when we pray to him throughout our day. My God. It's personal. But secondly, notice what he says. He says, come to us again. Not to me, to us, to my wife and I. Come to us. And he gives an invitation. Saying, God, we invite you here. We, we invite you to, to come and be part of our lives. We invite you in this difficult situation. We invite you into this difficult time to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I think if we were more intentional about inviting the Lord into our lives, he would come. And sometimes we, we wouldn't like it. But every time it would be beneficial. Every time it would be beneficial. So he says, Lord, come to us again. And the reason why, it is to teach us teach us how to raise this child. And so in order to say, hey, God, teach me, it takes humility. Saying, God, I need your help. I need you to instruct me on how to do this thing. Teach us. So in prayer, personalize it. My God, my Lord, my Savior. Invite him to come and humble ourselves so we can listen and we can learn from him. And this is, this is what's difficult. There are times in our lives when we find this easy, when we are anxious, when we're nervous, when, when, when we don't know which direction to go. It's easy at those times to call out to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I, I don't know what to do. I need you. This was like the case for, for when my wife told me that we were pregnant with our first son. Oh, man, those nine months were, were stressful. It, they were exciting, they were stressful, they, they were full of anxiety. I was like an emotional wreck. But in those times, I really found it peaceful to cry out to God saying, God, I need your help. I need to understand how you view, uh, uh, how you desire me to meet, for me to be a godly father, to raise my son or my daughter, whatever it is, in your wisdom, according to your plan. And one scripture that was really um, encouraging for me to read was this. It's De- Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Well, let me read it for you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what Moses, what Lord is having Moses write in this passage is every aspect of your life, you're to teach your kids to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
And Jesus reaffirms this in the Gospels. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that, that, that God encourages us to pass on to our children. So with my first son, it was easier because I was nervous. It was uncharted territory in my life. I cried up to the Lord. But to my shame, my second son was a lot different. Before my second son was born, I was like, oh, I got this. I did a really good job with my first son. Now, God, I, I can take it from here. And let me tell you is that it's been a lot more difficult, much more difficult to really be intentional about teaching my second son to know and to love the Lord. He's only 15 months. But it's been a lot more difficult for it to be at the forefront of my mind, to make it a, a priority in his life. I'm having to backtrack and say, God, I don't have it. I need your help. I need your help. Come and help me and teach me how to do it for my second son and my next son after that and my next son or daughter after that. And so in prayer, we must remember to cry out to the Lord and understand that we need his help every time, not just the first time. So next let's look at how God responds to Manoah, verses 9 and 10. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this, this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So what's fascinating to see is that, is that as Manoah prayed and invited the Lord to come, the Lord listened and he came to give instruction once again to both Manoah and his wife. So, so the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife in the field and, and, and his wife came and ran to him and got him and, and brought him to the angel of the Lord. But notice what Manoah asks. Notice what he asks. He doesn't say, teach me of how to raise my child in a godly manner. He doesn't say, I need your help and instruction to be a godly husband. What is his focus? At the end of verse 12, he says, what will the boy's rule of life and his work be? You know what Manoah is concerned with? His son's future. His son's future. That's what he's concerned with. Now this is sad because because oftentimes as parents, this is what comes to our minds. So I want my child to be successful. I want my, my son, my daughter to succeed in life because it, it kind of shows that I'm a good parent. And it makes them so that they are successful in life. And so that becomes so easily the priority in our life when, when what really God calls us to is, is to know and love and obey and serve the Lord. 
And I see this oftentimes in high school. Because I, I see parents whose number one concern for their high school student is, how, how am I going to pay for college? Oh no, it's coming. How am I going to do it? Now, don't, don't get, get me wrong. That's a valid concern. Because colleges these days are ridiculously expensive. But oftentimes if that's the priority within a family, as they're raising their, their son or their daughter, the priority gets lost. The real priority gets lost. Do you know why? Do you know how many students after graduating from high school walk away from their faith and the church? It's close to 70%. Close to 70%. Do you know that also another, another statistic? Is that after a child turns 13 and older, that 80% of parents feel inadequate and ill-equipped to be a spiritual leader in their, in, in their child's life. So amongst that 70 and 80%, we're looking at, at kids who as they go off to college are set up to fall away from the Lord. Because where are the priorities oftentimes? The success of their future. The ability to pay for college. We need to raise up children right now who are concerned first and foremost with how am I going to follow the Lord my God in a secular environment? The second that I walk out of my parents' house, how am I going to honor the Lord with my life? How am I going to serve him? How am I going to love him on a daily, daily basis? No matter the, the persecution, no matter what my peers might say, I'm committed to knowing and serving the Lord. We need parents who will rise up and do that and make that a priority. Because here in this passage, we see what's easy for parents. Tell me about my son's future. What shall his occupation be? That doesn't matter. If our kids love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength first, what they do doesn't matter because that's the greatest priority. That's the prayer for my boys, for my kids, is that they would love the Lord their God. The most important thing in life, is that the most important thing in your life? As you raise your your kids. So the angel of the Lord sets, sets Manoah straight. And he says this in verses 14, 13 and 14. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her to observe. So Manoah's question was this. How, what shall my son's future be? But the angel's response was what? Had nothing, had nothing directly related to Manoah's question. The angel's, angel of the Lord, his answer was this. Lead your life. Lead your wife. I think this is something that really needs to be understood. Is that the angel does not say, hey, do this or do this for, for your son and he'll be successful. 
What he points to is the heart of parenting. Fathers, husbands, potential fathers. You cannot be a godly father if you are not a godly husband first. You cannot be a godly father if you are not a godly husband first. This is what the angel points to. You need to lead your wife. You need to love your wife. And in that, your son is going to see and imitate you as you obey the commands in Scripture. If you're desiring to have kids or dating someone and potentially going to have kids in the future, this is a really good litmus test for you if you're ready to have kids. It's this. How well do you serve? Do you love? Do you lead your wife? And for the wife, how focused are you on really knowing, reading, studying, and living out God's word? That's the litmus test to know if we are ready to have kids. And if we're not there yet, then let's pursue those things. Let's be parents that God calls us to be so that our children can follow our example. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As parents, that's what we're called to do. Imitate Jesus Christ on a daily, on a daily basis. Because let me tell you, kids are like sponges. My, my son repeats everything that I say. <laughs> this is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but they soak everything up because they want to learn f- from their parents, especially when they're younger. Maybe not when they're older, but they'll come around eventually. But how are you doing? How are we doing with truly surrendering our lives to the Lord? Throughout my 10 years in youth ministry, I've, I've interacted off a lot with youth, with parents. And unfortunately, there are times that I've seen parents who fail at this, at this priority. I see parents who are raised in Christian families where the father fails to lead his wife. And families where mothers fail to submit to her God-ordained husband and leader. I mean, if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, we see the framework, not only for marriage, but, but for raising children. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, just as the church submits to Christ. And husbands, love your wives and give yourselves for them as Jesus Christ gave himself up for the church. That's what God's call upon our lives is about. So whether you have kids, you're, you're potentially thinking about having kids, and if you're dating, if you're single, know this. The priority that God has for your lives is to know him, to love him, and make that the priority in your life. Number one, that's what his desire for you is. And if you do that, then your kids are going to see it, and they're going to imitate you, and they're going to want the exact same thing for their lives as well. But here's the problem. We are like Israel that's been captured by the Philistines. Our society and our culture is one that tells us, hey, live for the moment. It, it's about you. 
Are you having fun? Are you happy? It's about you. And nowhere in scripture do we see that ever being re- recorded. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that Jesus, the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. That's what he's calling us to. But so often, our cell phones get in the way. So often, our TV shows and Netflix get in the way. So often, entertainment and our desires, our selfishness, gets in the way of truly being a godly example to those who follow after us. You know, you might be here and you might be saying, well, I don't have any kids, I'm not married. But you know what? You can be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to to someone younger. You can be an example for others to follow because people will look to you and say, hey, I admire her relationship, his relationship with the Lord. I want to be like that. We are all setting an example of whether or not we are choosing daily to submit, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So as we, we pray and as we close, uh, the communion table is going, going to be open. And I, I want to encourage us that, that, the half, that the biggest half of the battle is already won. Jesus Christ has given us hope. He's rescued us from the worst part that we could ever face, and that's sin and death. As parents, we model for our, our kids the life of Jesus. And we point to him saying, that's who we should be like. That's who we should imitate. Because Jesus gave himself for us, sacrificially died for our sins. And as we take communion, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that, that our Savior is not dead, but he's alive. And he's conquered sin and he's conquered death and he gives us hope that one day we can see him again. We can celebrate, Lord willing, with our sons and with our daughters and with those who have shepherded us in the faith. Let's pray. So Father God, we thank you Lord, that we can look to scripture, that we can see the failures, the examples of, of, of Manoah and his wife. Lord, we're thankful that, that we can look into scripture and we can see who Jesus Christ was, knowing that he, he lived, he died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, as we take communion and as we sing these last few worship songs, Father, would, would you speak to our hearts? Would you encourage us Lord, would you convict us? Lord, if how we're living is contrary to, 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 to your desire for us to, to be influencers in our society, in our culture, Lord, would you convict us? Would you help us, Lord, to choose you on a daily basis and to go to you and to look for you, look to you, Lord, when life might seem hopeless and our children have turned away from the Lord, God, you are the one who offers hope. And we're thankful for that. Is that nothing is lost. God, because you are on your throne. You are sovereign. And you are the one who gives us peace in the midst of difficult situations. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.